Welcome to the Embrace Your Life podcast, the place to be to live authentically and simply embracing your life with your host, Kayla LQ. Our next guest is truly someone that is admirable. He's an author, motivational speaker, and spoken word artist. Growing up, he didn't always have the best influential people in his life which led him to take some decision that didn't serve him in his vision of a better and brighter future. He then began to use his life experience as a way to inspire and give hope to the younger generation. He's now on a mission to share his message and empower youth to look at their life and see all the possibilities ahead. I'm truly grateful to welcome our guest, Sven Stelimak. Welcome, Sven. Thank you so much for having me, Kayla. How are you doing? I'm doing very great. Thank you. So Sven's author is motivational speaker and spoken word artist. Where did all that start? That all started in middle school, middle school and high school, writing raps, writing raps in class when I should have been paying attention mm. and uh, using that as a way to express myself. And... Um, it was only years later that I realized that, you know what? I'm a communicator. Mm. I'm just communicating in different forms, whether that be writing, speaking, or doing it in a very creative way through poetry. I'm just a communicator. Love it. I love that. So can you tell us a little bit more about who are you exactly and what do you do? Well, to make a long story short, I just see myself as a social entrepreneur. I mean that... Uh, Everything that I do is to is for social good. Literally mm. everything. You know, I do a lot of different things like uh, running a food bank at a church, social good. And I'm in the military and my goal is to become a chaplain in the military. That's something else that inspires me and moves me forward. Uh, but when it comes to more like on the business side, you know, I use my story of brokenness to empower youth whether that be youth coming from the inner city in Chicago, whether that be youth in Morocco, whether that be youth that, you know, seem like they have a silver spoon in their mouth and, you know, they're in Westmount. All of the youth are all the same. All people are all the same. Everyone is broken. We're just broken in different places. Mm. Uh, very often we're broken with the same things. Sometimes you might have a youth that feels like uh, they don't have a father. You know, their father is not in their life. Mm -hmm. And you could have someone that has a father that comes home every day that is in the house, but is not even present. So it's even worse. So all this to say, I just see myself as a tool to um, uplift people. And the best way that I could describe it to you is I arm people to face, embrace, and to overcome adversity with hope. Mm, that's beautiful. That's what my that's what my purpose is. That's that. That's my bottom line. That, yeah, I know your story because actually, for those who doesn't know, actually, Sven's and I worked together for a very short period of time, <laughs> <laughs> uh, less than five days. But uh, essentially, it was the the greatest time. That's how we got to connect. Um, and none, nonetheless, I know your story. But for those out there who don't know. Can you share a bit about your story, your past, and what really inspired you to share your message? Well, um, 
I was born in Montreal. My parents got divorced when I was a baby. My mother decided to move to Miami because she had more family. Uh, in Miami, she started her own business. It had an illegal side to it because the business was just a front. And um, unfortunately, when I was around 12, 13, she started to get robbed because she basically uh, was running a lottery, like an underground lottery in the Haitian community in Little Haiti. Mm. So people caught on and they started to follow her home and stalk her. And one of the times when they were stalking my mom, she was doing the groceries, right? And uh, my custom was when my mom would come home, I would go outside, open up the door, take the groceries, walk them in, and my mom would just put her keys and her purse on the counter, take a shower and just relax, you know? Mm -hmm. That was like an unspoken custom that I would have, you know, because I was the only boy, so I felt like the man of the house. Mm -hmm. So while I'm doing that, I see someone walk in. I lived like across the street from a corner store. Mm. You know, so people would walk on the corner all the time. There's always traffic. So when I see him walk in the house, I automatically run inside the house. I try to stop him and he's tussling me with the purse. He pushes me out the way. He starts to run. I start to chase him. He goes into this car with these dark tents and I'm not able to see like what's going on in the car. And that's when I froze and I felt that fear and I had to go back home. And I felt like a sucker. I felt so weak. I felt so whack because I'm like, now I got to face my mom and tell her, look, I wasn't able to do anything. Mm. My mom was taking a shower. She went crazy because all this money is in this purse. You're talking about like a lot of money mm -hmm. you know, because all of these entrepreneurs in the community would invest in this lottery. Yeah. You get what I mean? And she was a very um, trusted, respected person in that, uh, in, in, in that, um, ecosystem in Little Haiti and she was devastated and I remember watching my mom cry so I, I tell my story from there because that's my blueprint you know mm -hmm. seeing an entrepreneur and then my heart just being filled with so much anger that I wanted to murder mm -hmm. so at 12 13 my only objective was like how do I get a gun mm -hmm. then you know that's my issue from her business to my house life right Mm -hmm. My next problem is when I go into another arena they call school. When I go there, people are picking on me. Mm -hmm. They're calling me all type of names, or talking about my clothes, talking about my shoes. They're talking about things that I don't have. And unfortunately, uh, a lot of people are caught up in their ego Yeah, when you're young. And it's as if I, I felt as if brand names dictated the value that you should be addressed by mm. that if you had a certain brand a shoe or whatever that meant that you were more valuable than somebody else and i fell into that trap and i got involved with credit card fraud at the age of 13 me and my friends we started a ring like we could get your credit card social driver's license get all that information easily at 13 so i would start to skip school me and my friends would just pull out all of these, you know, documents that we had with credit card information and just order stuff every day. Mm. That's all we would do. Just order, order, order. And hopefully those orders come through. Wait for UPS and FedEx to come through with packages and uh, hide the stuff from our mothers, you know? Mm. Long story short, um, you know, I got into uh, 
I had a lot of anger issues. Like I told you at 12, 13, I'm thinking about murder, right? And I was yeah. serious. And um, by the time I hit uh, 15, I got kind of fed up with fraud. I had a transaction with someone that didn't go well. And uh, he started to harass me. So I, so I went to his house. Mm-hmm. And I went to his house. I knocked on the door. My first intention was to, like, you know, scare him, break something. If he was outside, fight him. Remember, I'm 15 years old. Mm. When I knock on the door, the door swings open. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to walk in. I'll break something and, you know, call him back and be like, hey, I caught you slipping. You know, you weren't really on your guard. Mm. When I knock on the door and I walk in, I hear that silence. As I continue to move in the house, I realize I can hear somebody snoring. So when I creep and I see between like this door that's like slightly open, he's sleeping. So I jump on top of him, beating the guy up. I'm taking out my rage. He's bleeding all over the place. I have blood on me. His bed is broken at this point. I walk out the house and remember at this time, my my ego is my center. Mm. And all I can do is just feel so good that I just beat this guy up. I'm feeling great. I'm feeling like this. I'm in my element. Mm. So after that, you know, I'm walking home. Mind you, I left my sister by herself. She's only like seven, eight years old. I took the, the city bus to get over there. And I'm on my way back laughing, having a good time with my best friend about this whole situation. And out of the blue, the police comes around me up. Mm. I go in out detention. They give me house arrest. I spend some time in juvie. They tell me if I was 18, I would do 10 years in prison. And that's when it went more downhill because in my mind, now I'm like, I could do prison time. This ain't nothing. Because mm. I already went to jail. And this is the problem with juvenile detention. When you put kids in juvenile detention, you're conditioning them to go to prison, mm. not rehabilitating them. You're conditioning mm. them to go to prison and to give them the false idea that they can deal with prison. Mm. Would you say that was a pivoting point for you to realize that there's more to that, that there's another way to help, like you said, empower you to realize that there's more to life than what you've experienced yourself? Oh yeah, for sure. Because that was just the 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 top of the iceberg. Just that I felt like that experience allowed me to realize that this is like a back to the future type of thing. Mm. You know, like people that are really committed to um, helping other people. A lot of the times, if you're trying to help people that went through what you went through, it's like going back to the future. Mm. Going back to these people before they get to a place before they make certain decisions that they can't get out of. Yeah. You understand what I mean? Absolutely. It's like learning from those who's experienced it before. And then you can kind of see the path that that would lead you into if you take and choose that path. Exactly. And because of that mistake, it kind of just conditioned me to think that I could deal with prison. And After that arrest, I was arrested another five times. I was charged as an adult at the age of 17. And by the time I was 19, you know, I already left my house at 16 years old, 
because I was tired of waiting for shipping and all of this type of stuff with credit card fraud. And I didn't like the idea of stealing. And some people might find it really weird or funny, but I didn't like to steal. I didn't like the feeling. My mom didn't raise me like that. Mm-hmm. So I preferred to sell drugs. You get what I mean? Mm. And uh, by the time I was 19, I could make 10 grand a week. You know, and I'm making this money now. I'm feeling super powerful. I'm feeling unstoppable, invincible. I go to job, just pay my lawyer. I fight it. You get what I mean? Yeah. And that was kind of like my life. I'm burying friends. I almost got kidnapped. I've been hit by a car intentionally. I've been jumped. I'm like, I'm going through all of these situations. And none of these things stop me. You get what I mean? Because mm. you just buy more guns. You just try to be more slick when it comes to the police. You try to get stay off the radar when it comes to enemies. You know what I mean? You start playing the game and you start in being like better and mastering your character. I guess that's the way to put it. But it's not necessarily the best character that you'd like to play in this world, right? Exactly. And you, you play the game to win. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember I wasn't prepared one day because I met a, a woman. You know, she was one of my clients. She wanted to buy some crack, but she had no money. So what do you think she offered me, Kayla? Mm, I don't want to say it. <laughs> but her body. We'll say that. <laughs> no, she didn't offer me her body. Oh, which would have been nothing new mm. that happens all the time. Like, just, just keep it real. But you know, Don't say her did? children. Don't say her children. Let me tell you what she did. She came with her eight-year-old son. No. And uh, when she came with her son, she had a plastic bag. And in the bag was his PlayStation. She was trying to give me his PlayStation to get high. And remember when I mentioned to you this Back to the Future moment, When I go back, all I wanted was some video games. That's all I wanted. That would have kept me inside the house. Because mm-hmm. I would leave my sister at home to go to the corner store to play video games or go to my friend's house. My mom would always be working. And she didn't want video games. I think she just thought it's a waste of time or it's just violence and stuff like that. I don't know. But I know for sure if my mom gave me video games... There's a chance that maybe I wouldn't have turned out the way I turned because I would have had something to do because I'm mm-hmm. like, I can't play sports. There's a crack house across the street. There's a crack house two down, two streets down. When I look out my window, I see prostitutes. Mm-hmm. Like This is my view. When I look out my bedroom window, this is what I see. Mm. And um, I think a lot of people that do not understand inner city kids or kids that come from struggles that make join gangs and get like, they don't know, they don't know us. You understand? Because my vision, my vision is also going to be a derivative of my view. It's easy for you to talk and to tell me this and to tell me that, but do you see what I see? If, if I wake up and everybody around me is a lawyer, a doctor, you get what I mean? A scientist, an engineer, a realtor, a business owner, Nine times out of 10, I'm going to look around those people and one of them is going to become a reference point. Mm -hmm. I wake up, I look out my window, I see crackheads asking me if I have dope. If I see prostitutes up and down the road, if I see crackheads and I'm like, I don't want to be no crackhead. I don't want to be breaking in people's house and trying to sell stuff. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? 
I don't want to be these nine to five people that I see working so hard, but they don't have nothing to show for it. And then I see somebody swing by in a 1973 Chevrolet Caprice sitting on 22s, you know, looking really fly with gold teeth. Mm. And all the women are like watching him with the music of who do you think I want to be? Mm. I want to be successful. And, and, and if that's what successful looks like in my community, then that's what I'm going to, that's what I'm going to aim for. Mm-hmm. And that's the role model that you had. So that that's what you aspire to become. Exactly. I got my mom as a role model. She's an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I want to be an entrepreneur too. So for mm-hmm. the longest time, I looked at everybody with a job as some something beneath me. Cause I'm like, ah, you don't even got enough nuts to do your own thing and take your own risks. Mm. being spoon-fed. But with time, I understood that that's not true. As long as you love what you do, mm-hmm. can't nobody tell you nothing. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah. What would you tell those people that you said, like, we don't understand? Like, it's it's true. We all have different upbringings and we have yeah. different experience, different environments. Mm-hmm. How can one empathize or be, put themselves in some other person's shoes so that they can get it. What would be an advice to help somebody? Well, I would say two things, right? The first thing that I would say is this, whether you come from the inner city and you come from, you know, let's say what people might call a gangster neighborhood, people that come from very wealthy environments go through drama too. They go through trauma too. Mm -hmm. They go through a lot of the same stuff that we go through. It just comes out in a different way. Mm -hmm. Like, just because someone has money does not mean that they will not go through strife. Mm. I mean, nothing. Money, a lot of people get divorced broke. A lot of people get divorced very wealthy, and they're both going through the same pain of divorce, right? Mm -hmm. You get what I mean? So I would feel like, stop incarcerating people with your stereotypes. Mm. You know, I, I, I do that workshop a lot with youth when, when I come into high schools and I talk about stereotypes. Mm. And what I do is I'll come in with a, with a, um, a prison jumper. And you know what I tell them? Mm. Your stereotypes, it would be as if you put me in this jumper but you're the one behind bars. Mm. Your stereotypes, it's you that's behind bars, but but behind your stereotypes, not yeah. me. Because people see me sometimes and they're like, oh man, you must play basketball. That's mm. not a negative stereotype. It's not a negative one. It's a highly likely I'm a tall black man. Most likely I like basketball. It's not a negative with that. Mm. But for you to think that my sole purpose in life is to bounce a ball around, because I'm tall, man, screw you. You get what mm-hmm. I'm trying to say? Like, no, mm-hmm. I'm, not, I'm not just that. You get yeah. what I'm trying to say? Because of my because of my height, mm-hmm. my, my blackness doesn't mean that's my sole purpose. So don't you can't incarcerate me with your stereotypes. Ask questions. Ask questions, yeah. Yeah, yeah ask questions. Be question. curious. Be Absolutely. curious and abandon your stereotypes because... I just see a white guy. I just can't assume he can't dance. He might dance better than me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's true. It's it's like those preconceived um, 
ideas that we have and they're called like assumption or like you said stereotyping but we assume that we know so we don't get past the like the questioning part it's like oh i already know what these people are up to well we don't know know. and you know what that's why a lot of people are so broke and Mm. a lot of people are so impoverished and i'm not talking about um i'm not talking about money i'm talking about Mm -hmm. experience a lot of people life is like uh, when you open up a Coke or ginger ale, whatever poison that you want, when you open one of them up and it's flat and mm-hmm. doesn't taste good, a lot of their lives look like that because they're not doing what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Some people, oh, I heard it all. I heard it. I know who he is. I know what he's about. But when you take the time to open up your heart and your mm-hmm. mind, your eyes, your hair, all of your five senses to just somebody in the subway, You'd be surprised how enriched you could be from an exchange from a stranger. Most of the time, the best exchanges will always be with a stranger anyway. Mm-hmm. So people are so poor. They're poor socially because they only connect with people in their community. They mm-hmm. don't connect with other people. And when it comes to strangers, which I feel like is a divine way for God to speak to you, you strangers, people you don't even know. You don't you lose that opportunity because you got these stereotypes. You see this homeless man and you just think, okay, he's on drugs, he's gonna hurt me. Mm. Talk to him, ask him, like, yo, tell me about your life. Yeah, tell me your story. Yeah, I remember a homeless man one time, he told me, and he made me understand something. You know what he told me? He told me, um, he told me how he became homeless, right? Mm -hmm. You know what he told me? He told me, look, man, I was a chef. I was a chef. And unfortunately, um, I contracted HIV. Mm. And because I was a chef, I could no longer be a chef. So I became depressed. Mm -hmm. When I became depressed, because, you know, you're dealing with knives and stuff like that. When I became depressed, I turned to, like, all types of other stuff. And I just lost myself. Mm. I have shivers. Mm -hmm. Follow me. Mm -hmm. And you know what he made me understand? A lot of people are so broke and so poor that even if they gave a homeless person a hundred dollars, they're still broke and poor because you're not letting him enrich you. Because mm. you you don't understand what he can teach you. Absolutely. Like if you would just sit at the feet of homeless people and listen and watch and just hear and just be present and be like, yo, what's your name? Where you from? What happened? What do you need help with? Mm-hmm. And even if you see somebody um, addicted to something with alcohol in their hand and you're like, oh man, this person is just whatever. Every addiction starts with pain mm. and it ends with pain. Every addiction. So, yeah, I see that. Yeah. I can so see that. Why don't you focus on the pain? Why are you so focused on the addiction? Mm. Everyone has addictions. Everyone has something everyone has uh you know what i mean Mm -hmm. some addictions look good in public you get what i mean but it's an addiction nonetheless you're being controlled by something but yeah yeah that's what i mean like kayla like yo like everything and anyone can be your teacher if you're willing to listen that's something Mm -hmm. that i wrote a while ago and i realized like yo you could learn from an ant 
You can learn from a butterfly. You can learn from a tree. You can learn from a dog. Yeah. You know, something, something that I learned from babies is about depression and failure and rejection. If you look at a baby, right? Mm. When's the last time you saw a baby in a corner, in a room, in a dark room, with his head down or her head, or her head down, with a cigarette mm. in the mouth saying like, yo, bro, I tried this walking thing. This, this shit doesn't work. <laughs> it just doesn't work with me, man. I tried a thousand times. I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's true. And all of us, we've walked, tried to walk a million times and we fell a million times. We yeah. cried and we got right back up. But the Absolutely. older that people get, the more and more fearful they get. Mm-hmm. And they don't want to let go of their failure to succeed. Absolutely. You said a keyword right there, fear. I'd like to kind of dig more on that. Would you say there's a correlation with people being afraid and not fully engaging in the, their life purpose? And like you said, uh, being afraid of not, like not knowing what's out there for them or what's available because they don't know any better. Or like you said earlier, people don't ask questions. They don't want to know because then they'll have to engage. They'll have to socialize, like let's say connect with somebody like a homeless asking their story. I, I, I used to work for a multicultural association. And one of the biggest thing I found with my experience was people are, they don't want to be stereotyping. They don't want to be necessarily like bullies or, you know, mean, but it comes from a place of ignorance. It comes from a place of fear and scarcity of offending people by asking questions. So what would you tell people to do if they want to engage more and learn about people's story and kind of give hope or help others to feel inspired. Two things. This is another one of my quotes. Your ignorance is your responsibility. Mm. That's that that that's not, you know what I mean. Your ignorance is your responsibility. And your goal in life is to make to be the least ignorant as possible or be ignorant on the stuff that you don't want to know. Mm. You know what I'm trying to say? The stuff that it's not important. You get me? Yeah. But um, what I can say is just speak the truth in love. Mm. I remember I had somebody ask me a question that was so ignorant. I was like, I just responded. I, I responded to the person with as much love and truth as possible. I would say, speak the truth in love. Your mm -hmm. facial expression speaks. Your body language speaks. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? You just act like, and just choose your words wisely and mm -hmm. ask questions. Yo, would you be comfortable? Like, you know, like I, I tell um, speakers all the time, because sometimes I help other speakers when it comes to like different stuff. So I would tell them, always remember your disclaimers. There is so much power in a disclaimer. Yeah. Like if I'm doing a presentation in French and I know my French is not A1, I tell people, listen, I'm not the best in French, but I'm going to try anyway. Even if I make mistakes, people will excuse them because they're like, he's trying. He told me. And be vulnerable about it. Be open. Yeah. And be vulnerable. And now people see what you feel like is a weakness is actually a strength. So mm. if I come to you and uh, I don't know, I'll give you an example. Let's say I want to... Um, ask questions to someone that's homosexual. Mm. You get what I mean? I'm be like, it must be difficult being gay. Mm. 
I'm not gonna say something like that. I'm, I'm gonna say, look, um, Jacques, you know, I noticed that I don't really know what it's like to be a gay person, man. Like, I would really love to know so I can, I'd love to put myself in your shoes and you're the only person in my environment mm-hmm. that I know that's in that situation. And, you know, I want to eliminate some of my ignorance on that. You see what I mean? Yeah. That with a disclaimer and an introduction like that, the guy would, I don't know. If the guy says no, I would respect that and keep moving. But I would, you know, I'd say nine times out of 10. People are open. People are be like, damn, really? You Mm -hmm. you want to take the time to understand how I feel? Mm -hmm. Let's grab a coffee. Mm -hmm. You know, and I've done that before. Mm-hmm. I remember because uh, you see one of one of the things that I do also is we run a poetry show called La Sela, like art is here, mm-hmm. and Sela is a Hebrew word to mean meditate, reflect, pause. The mm-hmm. main meaning is pause, right? But to re- uh, reflect, meditate, and so forth, so forth. And there was a guy who told me that he didn't want to come, and I was like, "Why you don't want to come?" He's like, "Man, because I'm gay, man." Everyone's going to be like all in my face and this is that. I'm going to feel uncomfortable. And I'm like, you know, let's go have breakfast. Mm -hmm. So we have breakfast. And when he tells me his story, almost cried. Mm. Almost cried because I was just like, wow, like this guy like got so much strength. And now he has his own uh, hair salon. Mm. Very well. He stepped out of his fear to start his own hair salon. Love it. Yeah, you're talking about a young man, lost his mom to cancer at like 18 years old, always had a love for hair, and that's what he did. Mm. Yeah. It's really inspiring to see people flip their lives around and looking, like you said, past their fear and step out of their comfort zone to follow their passion. Oh, yeah. And like like yourself, actually. It's really inspiring to see you go. I know that you're working on a book right now. Is it broken crayon still colors yeah but i might change the name i'm not sure yet okay okay there's another person with the same title oh really yeah but that that's the second well you see my first book is called pen of a ready writer yeah i read that very inspiring thanks for me love it but you see that there's like 10 different authors with the same name for the book So I'm like, I don't know if I want to do that again, like have a name and I know that other people have the same name. I'm, I'm thinking about it. Mm. Beyond the name, what is really the true message and essence behind your book? Can you give us a little scoop? The true message behind my book would be going into my, because it's basically the evolution of me, like my whole process, but not in the original way. I feel like the original way that a lot of people tell their story is to just put the center stage on themselves. Look at me, look how great I became. I went through this, I went through that. No. What I what I want to do is to get you to familiarize my mm. issues and correlate them with yours mm. and take you through my process with me so you can go through that process and we can become Graded together and prove that broken crayon still color. Mm, I love that. Yeah, because if a speaker doesn't create other speakers, you're whack. That's how mm. I. You're not supposed <laughs> to speak 
so people can hear you. You're supposed to speak to inspire other people to speak. I love that. Yeah. It's true. No, it's really true. That's that's what I like about you is you get that. <laughs> mm-hmm. And you do that. And you have that effect on people. You inspire others to show up and share their message and have a voice. They already have a voice, but open up and share, like you said, to really share their true essence and message. I love it. I really love it. Sven, as we come to an end, if you could leave our audience with one piece of advice to live more authentically, what would that be? Everything that you want is on the other side of fear, on the other side of ignorance, and on the other uh, other side of uh, hate. Mm. You know what I mean? On the other side of anxiety, you just need love, hope, and faith. And um, yo, be open to the people around you. You know, because some of these people are there to just bless you. And sometimes the wrong people will put you in the right place. Mm, They're like teachers. Yeah. Everything and anyone can be a teacher if you're willing to learn and listen. So I send that to you and uh, I hope everything goes well with your podcast. Mm, Thank you. Not out of your fear. I can't wait to do a coaching session with you. Uh, (laughs) Absolutely. I know I'm I'm bad. We're long overdue. (laughs) But much love to you and thank you to you and your audience. Thank you so much, Vince, for being on this show. It was really great having you. It's a pleasure. Thanks. If you like this episode, make sure to subscribe and share it with your friends and family. Also, Head on over to our website, EmbraceYourLifePodcast.com to learn more about how you can live your most authentic life. Thank you for listening, and until next time, remember to embrace your life.